Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen in front or simply listen as the passage is read aloud. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But, tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisai, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fists against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. <clears throat> All right. Good morning again. Uh, if you missed it earlier, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors at High Rock Church, and we are so glad to have you together uh, with Mars Hill Fellowship Church today. So um, I have a question, and it's actually kind of just a point of curiosity. Do any of you have a, mom- a, a particular, specific moment in your life when you remember being just 
incredibly thirsty. Just absolutely overwhelmed by thirst. Does anybody have like a specific moment like when you think back about that moment? Anyone? Yeah, a few? Like what happened? Can you tell me about it? <laughs> you couldn't finish your workout. That's good. Anyone, Needy, did you, did you, like what happened? Uh, you don't have to tell the whole story, but. You, oh, that's, oh, yeah. Anyone else have like a specific moment? Just, yeah, oh, yeah, can you just. Oh, yes. You remember, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, interesting. Um, so I have one of these. I, I, I was curious about like other people because I think about this one occasionally. Um, when I was 10 years old, my parents decided that we would do a summer missions trip together to Haiti uh, with an organization called Teen Missions. And it was an organization where um, uh, four adults would take 25 or so teenagers overseas somewhere on a mission trip, usually some kind of service or building project. Um, And so my parents were the team leaders, and my brother and I just kind of got hauled along. I was 10, my brother was 6, and um, we were there for about six weeks. And while we were there, one of the Sundays, we were invited to hike up to this mountain church, kind of high up in the hills. And so we said, sure, and the whole group of us went. And for the four of us in my family, we just packed this one, like, canteen with water, because in our minds, it wasn't very far. But it turns out it was like seven miles to get there and seven miles back. And it was very hot and dry and there was, there was nothing on the way. And so by about mile three on the way up, we had drank all the water in our one canteen for our family. And then we finished the other four miles. And then we went to about a three-hour church service. And then we had to hike seven miles back. And... You know, I remember just, I remember so, the vividly is the word, like I remember so vividly like being on that mountain and the the depth of thirst that I had and it was so overwhelming and like all you could think about was drinking, like just nothing else could enter your mind or, or process and some of you have heard this story before, there was this just incredible moment, there were like 30 of us or so that were coming down this mountain together and everybody was thirsty and as we came down, we kind of started getting back to where we were seeing some people. And there was a man with a cart, and he was selling pineapples. And just the whole mass of us rushed over. And people just began pushing pineapple into their face. And you weren't chewing or eating. You were just going, like you were trying to suck the pineapple juice out of the fruit through your teeth. And down just to like... Because you were so, and I, I can, like, I love pineapple. Like, I love it so much. And I think it's in part because, like, the moment of relief in that, like, I was just, I just remember, like, putting that dripping pineapple in my mouth and just the sense of relief that came from it. Anyway, I just have this, like, deep, and I was curious, like, do other people have moments in their life when they were just incredibly thirsty? This is the situation or, you know, something akin to it. Um, that we find the people of Israel experiencing in Exodus chapter 17. Verse 3 says that they were tormented by thirst, which is strong language, right? They, They were tormented by how thirsty they had become. And so this morning, we are looking together at the story of... Do you get it? 
Moses getting water from the rock. Huh? Huh? That's pretty good, huh? Do you get it? I thought that was pretty good. The rock. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> and as a total aside to this, just so you know, um, since we had the goodbye for Phyllis and the dedication for James, my sermon is going to be a lot shorter today. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, anyway, it's just, we are going to take a nice, simple look at Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, and then we'll be done. So to rest easy, my friends. So the context for what is happening here is that God has been leading the people of Israel through the wilderness on their way to Sinai. And as they are making their way, they set up camp at a place called Rephidim. But as verse 1 tells us, uh, there's no water there for the people to drink. Now, that's a bit of a curious thing because Rephidim was known for water. It was known as an oasis in the middle of the wilderness. This is a place that had natural springs. You get lots of fresh drinking water where you and your animals and the people that are with you can all get refreshed and nourished to be ready for the kind of next step in a thing. So it isn't clear um, whether, you know, the fact that there was no water for them to drink means that somehow the springs at Rephidim had dried up and therefore there wasn't any water or whether there was water at Rephidim. It's just that they were somehow not able to access that water. Therefore, there was no water for them to drink. Uh, In the Hebrew, that part is, is unclear. But Given the context and the story that we have in the second half of the chapter, there's at least some reason to imagine that that perhaps there was water at Rephidim, which there always was. It was just that Israel couldn't get to it or access it. If you if you look at this 17th chapter, and if you listen to what Cleo read, then you notice that, that there are two stories, but there are two stories that are related to each other in that each of them is describing a threat to Israel and to their relationship with God. The first is an internal threat, as the people are grumbling about their circumstances and how, and, and in response they test God. The second is an external threat that is posed by the attacking Amalekites. Uh, the Amalekites were another tribe in the area, and as this chapter explains, and as uh, you find out if you're reading through the rest of the Old Testament, the Amalekites emerge as kind of an ongoing enemy of the Israelites for a very through generations and generations. And interestingly, these two tribes, the Israelites and the Amalekites, are distant cousins. The Amalekites are the distant descendants of a man named Esau, and the Israelites are the distant descendants of a man named Jacob. Those two twin brothers who fought over birthrights long, long ago. And if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, then you know that when their mother was pregnant with them, when they were in the womb in Genesis chapter 25, it says that they were constantly jostling with each other. And, you know, maybe twins do that in general as a part of just, you know, trying to get resources in there and stuff. But Rebecca felt that this was abnormally unique in what was happening. And she actually went and she prayed. And she asked God, like, what is going on in there? What, what is happening between these two children? And God's answer to her was, 
there are two nations in your womb. And these two nations will eventually be separated and then enter into conflict. And so now, many, many, many generations removed, here these distant relatives have grown up into their own nations, separated by time and space, and now they meet again in the wilderness. And this prop, or at least could explain why Israel can't get access to water, because the Amalekites have been out there for a long time. But Israel is this new nation emerging from, emerging from slavery in Egypt and entering into new space. And so perhaps it's not that the streams and the, the uh, source of water in Rephidim has dried up. Perhaps it's because the Amalekites are there and they're blocking Israel's access. And of course, whenever resources are scarce and there is some upstart nation showing up to try and take some of yours, well, that isn't well received. And so the second half of chapter 17 describes how Israel is camped at Rephidim, at the place where all this water was, And then it narrates the battle between the two nations. The Amalekites suddenly attack the Israelites, um, perhaps believing that they would be weakened without access to water. And this kind of long battle scene ensues, one that many of you know and are familiar with, where the battle kind of happens in the valley below. And then up on the mountain, you have Moses who takes his staff up. And when he raises the staff up, um, the Israelites begin winning. And anytime he gets tired, they you know, and his arms begin to fall, then the Amalekites gain the advantage, and then Moses gets his energy back and pushes it up, and there's this back and forth, back and forth between the two nations as they battle, and it's all dependent on Moses' staff position, whether it's above his head or below, and it just keeps going like this. The shocking thing is, as if you were paying attention with Cleo Red, it says that Aaron and Hur went up with Moses at the beginning of the day, but apparently we're so distracted or something watching all of the activity below that they don't finally they get the picture and then they go over and they put a stone so he can sit and then they they you know prop up his arms and then once his arms are up then Joshua and the Israelites just go and demolish the Amalekites but somehow her and Aaron are not paying attention for the first 6 or 8 hours of the day as the battle goes back and forth and then finally they realize hey we should go prop his hands up but the story is simple the Israelites um Sorry, it's a well-known story, but it's likely rooted in the Amalekites' fear that this kind of northern creep by Israel was going to begin to try and secure some resources. And so they come, they attack the new kids in the block, and they try to, to drive them away, but it doesn't work. That's the second half of the chapter, and we could spend um, a lot of time talking about that external threat to Israel and to their own spiritual well-being for the future, right? To the things in this world for us that are external threats to our, you know, emerging relationship with God. How we live in a world of, of convenience. And how that is deeply at odds with what we read in scripture and the lives that we are called to live. And so we could talk a lot about the external threat of convenience, right? Or the external threat of safety and security that this world tries to tell us that we should be giving to ourselves. And yet this book says nothing about in terms of us trying to secure for ourselves, right? Like that, these two things are not. So anyway, there are lots of external threats that we could talk about. We could spend you know, hours or days on that. We're not going to do that because our time is short, and I want to focus our attention on the first threat in the chapter, and that is the internal threat that we pose to ourselves 
when it comes to our relationship with God. The story is very simple. Israelites arrive in Rephidim, no doubt expecting they're going to find some water and refreshment. But when they get there, they find out there is no water for them to have. In response to that, the people don't ask Moses what they're going to do. They don't inquire about potential alternative sources. They don't call a prayer meeting to get together and ask God for provision. Instead, they say, give us water to drink. Like children would, right? Give us water. It's not a request. It is a just blatant demand. It's a, it's a demand both of Moses and of God. Moses tells stop it. He tells them to stop it. But as we mentioned earlier, tormented by their thirst, you know, genuinely desperate for something to drink, and, and dire in their circumstance, they ignore Moses' warning. They continue to argue with him, going back to what is becoming a tired old line of reasoning. Why did you bring us out of Egypt just so we can die in the desert? So vehement is their demand, so tormented are they by their thirst, and so vehement is their demand that Moses feels threatened. And he asks God, and he prays, and he says, like, do something lest these people stone me, right? He senses violence because they are so desperate for something to drink. God doesn't get impatient. He doesn't get angry. He's still kind of in the mode of working on teaching and training these young followers to listen to his voice and to trust him so much like you do with a small child who who says and who does the most ridiculous and incoherent of things yet you you try to stay patient and listen and care and and instruct and bring them along little by little and so God very gently gives this instruction to Moses what I want you to do is I want you to go pass in front of the people I want you to go out in front of the whole community I want you to take your place of leadership. I want you to take the staff that I have given you as a symbol of power and salvation throughout the story of Israel so far. And I I want you to gather some of the other leaders in the community and have them go out with you. And then I want you to go up to the rock that's that's at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And I want you to strike that rock with that staff And when you do, water will come pouring out. And so that's what Moses does. He goes up to the rock, takes a staff, and he strikes the rock, and then water comes pouring out, and the nation is nourished. Now, side note, um, while there are many incredible miracles in Exodus, and I would include this as a great miracle among them, there is also some natural phenomenon stuff that happens in the desert and in Israel in that area that uh, could be a part of how God provides for his people. Specifically, there are sometimes streams that run kind of behind the rocks or under the rocks, and oftentimes there can be a fairly thin layer of rock between kind of surface and stream, and if you can If you know where to strike that, you might be able to access that. There are also places in Israel, like there are a lot of cliffs that kind of come down in Israel, dry, barren, wilderness kind of stuff. But when it rains, water runs down into those cliffs and pours out. And there are some places where water will come down, and it'll kind of come down through the rocks and then pour out of a cliff. 
but sediment will build up little by little by little by little kind of out of where the rock, the water comes, and as it'll eventually kind of, kind of crystallize and just block it, and there'll be a big kind of canal of water behind it, and it'd be a fairly thin, and if you, if you could hit that in the right, if you knew where that was and what to look for in space, you might be able to strike that, break it, and have that canal of water rush forth. That probably wouldn't provide, like, a buildup of water probably wouldn't provide enough water for an entire nation to be nourished and all of their animals. But there are some ways that water can come out of rock a little bit. It's just nobody kind of knows how to find it very well, so it's challenging. So, but there's some neat little natural phenomena. Anyway, so Moses does that. And then comes the part that I want us to pay special attention to, um, and that is verse 7. Once things have settled, people get some water, feeling better. Moses gathers and he assigns a new name to this place. Verse 7 reads this way. Moses named the place Masa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Moses renames Rephidim now as Masa Meribah as a reminder to the people of these two internal issues that emerged among them. Masa means tests, and that will remind them that at this place they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Scripture tells us we are not to put the Lord our God to the test. That is what Israel does. It's as if they said to God, we're thirsty, but you said you'd be with us. We see this big cloud, big pillar of fire, but we're thirsty. So maybe you're not here. Maybe you can't provide. Maybe you aren't as powerful as we thought you were. This is what children do, right? My mom taught fourth grade for many years, and she tells this story about this kid in the class. He was, you know, he was a tester, um, not in the good way of, like, doing well on tests. As a personality he was a tester, right? And there was this one day where they were in class, and I can't remember exactly, it was a toy or a pencil or something, but anyway, there was something, and he kept taking it out of his desk. And she's like, put that, put that back in your desk. And he sneak, put that back in your desk. Sneak it. And she finally said, I want you to put it back in your desk. If you take it out again, I'm taking it from you. And so he puts it in the desk, but then he just hangs it. A little, right? So, like, there's just a, the tiniest bit, right? Just, just to see. Like, what will she do, you know? Will she, right? Like, that, te- and this is, this is the stuff that children do when they are immature. But if this nation wants to grow and mature as followers of God, then they have to make the transition from testing into trusting immature people and immature relationships test. Mature people and mature relationships trust. Israel wasn't there yet. They were on the path, but they're still at this place. Oh, God, are you really here with us? I don't know, right? They're trying to get what they want, and they're testing him, taunting him just a little bit to get it. And so we look at ourselves, right? 
and we ask, what kind of relationship do I have with God? Do I have the immature relationship of a child testing God when I'm uncomfortable or unhappy to try to get him to do the things that I want him to do? Or do I have the mature relationship that trusts him and believes that he loves me and that he will provide for me in any way that I need? Moses names this place Masa to remind the people of those early days when they were immature and they were testing God. And then he goes on and he adds Meribah as well to remind them that not only did you test God, but you quarreled with me. Again, children argue because they don't know what's best for them, right? We say, here, eat this healthy food. It will produce good digestive movements, and it will help you grow big and strong. But they argue, and they quarrel with that good food, right? We say, go to bed early. Go to bed now because that will give you enough rest and time so that tomorrow it will be easy And then they argue, and they quarrel, and they fight, right? We say, no, 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 just because you have a cape on doesn't mean you can jump off that roof. Like, that's that's bad for your health. And then they argue, no, 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 right? I can't, right? This is what children do, all sorts of crazy things, because they're children, right? Their brains are still forming, and there are parts of their prefrontal cortex that they just can't regulate good decision-making, That is to their benefit. So they argue. They contest everything. Israel argues, complains, contests the decisions that have brought them to this place because their spiritual eyes are too small and their spiritual minds too uninformed to be able to see the things that God has planned for them in their future and that he is giving to them, even though it is difficult along the way. And so we look to ourselves. And we ask, do I grumble? Do I complain? Do I argue with God about my lot in life, about my about how if he would just give me this job or just give me this relationship or just give me this healing or just give me this bit of security, that that would be good for me. Or do we live lives full of trust and submission, accepting the place that he has brought us to, understanding and believing that he is leading us to something that is better, even though it is difficult along the way? Israel is on a trajectory. They're growing. They're learning. They're developing. But... But Moses wants them to see and to remember. This is who you were. Hopefully you won't stay there. And we are invited in this text to to look and to evaluate what is our relationship. Are Are we the immature child still testing and still arguing? Or are we growing and developing and becoming fuller disciples of Christ? I want to end with... um, What I think, uh, this might just be me. No, it's me and God, so you should listen to this part. I want to end with what I think is the most powerful part of this text. 
and it's what happens in verse 6. If you happen to have your Bibles open, I'm going to give you a second just to look at it because I, I want you to remember it or see it. If you don't, it's okay. Actually, John, would you be able to throw verse 6 up on the screen? Thanks. Yeah, perfect. After God says, Moses, I want you to pass in front of the people. I want you to take your staff, and I want you to gather some leaders. In verse 6, he says, I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Some of your versions might say Mount Horeb. Strike the rock. And water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. John, do you mind just leaving it up for a cup for a minute? So gather the image of that verse in your mind for a second. God says, come to the rock and I will stand before you. Take that staff. And strike it. We aren't told whether Moses can see God in front of him because God is in the pillar of cloud, and that's how we don't we don't know if somehow God's presence stands in front of the place, the, the part of the rock that God wants Moses to strike, but only Moses can see or perceive that. We don't know. All we know is that Moses that God says to Moses. Once you get to the rock, I'll stand before you, and then I want you to strike. And so in this moment, Moses raises that staff, and with the Lord right in front of him, he rains down this blow on the rock, and water comes pouring out. It's a beautiful moment in the Old Testament that points us forward to Jesus his body on the cross and to the spear that would come and would pierce his side and the water and the blood that would come pouring out for the salvation of our souls. And so when we suffer and when we struggle, when we don't get exactly what we want, we don't argue, we don't test We do exactly what our Savior did as he entered into his suffering. Here's my request, but not my will. Let yours be done. Not what I desire or demand, but let your will be done. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite Pastor Joseph just to lead us in a time of reflection and response. As we reflect upon the word of God that has been ministered this morning, maybe you're like me and as you heard the story of the Israelites and you reflected upon the journey that they went upon, maybe you're like me and you like to say that in all situations, You trust God fully in every place. But maybe you've been in situations where you felt 
like you've been testing God. Maybe the disappointments of life have caused you to wonder, is God really present in your situations? Is God really present in the things that are before you? The good news is that we sang a song this morning that we have a generous God. And in the midst of all of the times where God could look at us and say, you did it again. I invited you to trust me, but you tested me. I invited you to see my great provision, but you're wondering, Lord, are you really there? And even in the midst of all of those times, God says, I'm inviting you. Come to the table. Trust me. Lean on me. Make the great exchange. As we reflect upon the word today, I want us just for a moment, if you could just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. I want each of us just to examine where our hearts are at. Because as we've been reflecting upon this journey of Exodus, it's not by accident that the Lord has us reflecting upon the journey of a nation, going out of a place of bondage, a place where they were oppressed, they had no provision to let the Lord saying, I have seen your suffering and your crying and leading them on a journey to the promised land. The journey that the Israelites take is not unlike the journey that many of us are taking even right now here in 2019. And as every head is bowed and every eye is closed and we're just taking a moment to reflect. I want you just to look at your heart this morning as you reflect upon these words. And both individually and corporately, I want us to ask ourselves, Lord, are there any areas in my life that I need to trust you more. I know as I examine my heart this morning, there are so many areas that are coming to mind. Even last night, I was wrestling and could not go to sleep just with things on my mind and things that I was wrestling with. But even in those, I hear the word of the Lord saying, Joseph, will you trust me in this? Trusting God doesn't eliminate your problems or your circumstances. But it brings shalom, the peace of God in the midst of everything that is going on. In a few days, we're going to end the discernment period for High Rock as Many of you have been praying and fasting and asking God, Lord, what is the future, the next steps for our church in this time of transition? We need his shalom. We need his trust. 
Some of you, you, you've been battling situations. Some of you have been wrestling with some things. I, I sense this morning, uh, someone this morning who has a child who you've been praying over, and there have been things that you've asked God, Lord, will you, will you show a breakthrough in the midst of it? And you've gotten to your wits end this morning. But I hear the word of the Lord saying, Shalom. Trust me. This morning, just take a moment and in your hearts, say, Lord, where do I need to trust you more? Now, as the Lord has spoken, it is your opportunity to respond. Has he revealed areas or has he shown you areas or if there are areas that you know are areas that you need to trust him more? Your response this morning can be, Lord, I give that to you. I trust you. The same way that you foreshadowed the ultimate sacrifice, which would be Jesus Christ going upon the cross. The nails that were placed in his side. The Bible says it this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So right now, in this moment, our response can be we trust him because we know that he's already made provision for us. In just a moment, we're going to lead you just in a reminder that God is generous with his love. But I also want to be mindful that as some of you are making a reflection upon the fact that there are areas that you want to trust God more. There may be some of you who are here today who are saying, I'm struggling to trust God. Maybe there are things that you're battling right now that seem too overwhelming for you to be able to encounter on your own. In just a moment as we respond together in song, we're going to invite you, if you'd like to come to this altar and receive prayer, we're going to invite you just to come and respond to all that the Lord has said. Can I get some of the intercessory prayer team just to come forward as um, we pray this morning? And if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Joseph, would you pray for me? Would you agree in prayer for me? I want to trust God more. There might be an area in my life that I want to just lay over to God and just say, God, I give this into your hands. Your will be done in Christ Jesus. If that's you, would you just come forward this morning? We want to pray with you. We want to agree in prayer with you. Pastor Ophelia, would you come forward, please? This morning, if that's you, would you come forward and just be bold enough to say, Pastor Joseph or Pastor Ophelia, or just those who are here who are praying and interceding on your behalf. You don't have to do it on your own. But the generous God who is with us 
is here today for whatever we need.